course, we've been bringing our scripture for the last three weeks from John 14, 1 through 6. So for one more week, we're going to do this. It may be a little bit unusual to use the same scripture week after week. You may feel like, well, we're getting a gift on our pastor duties there. You keep using the same scripture over and over. Uh, but I want to assure you that there is more within this one verse than I could preach on in a lifetime. Uh, the words of Jesus Christ here that he give us uh, to live by and to live with are uh, sweeter and deeper than uh, one person could ever discover in a lifetime. It will take us eternity to truly understand this, uh, much less a series of sermons. Uh, so let's begin reading uh, John 14. 1 through 6. It does not get old. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, in the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now I want you to see something that we have as yet to reveal about this scripture. Now, everybody understands the Spirit inspired the word of the living God. This is God-breathed, this Bible right here is. Uh, the words within the scripture were inspired by Holy Spirit, written down by Holy Spirit. However, however, chapter divisions and verse divisions were not. Did you know that? They were added about the 13th or 14th century. Uh, somebody come in and added these chapter and verse divisions. Now, they're great. Don't get me wrong now, okay? They're great. But there are sometimes when they insert those chapter divisions, those verse divisions, they miss it a little bit. This happens to be one of those times. Because when we read that scripture, we're like, okay, yeah, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe all. Oh, this is such a happy time, right? This Jesus is just encouraging his disciples. If you look back, if you've got your Bible open, if you look back to the chapter before this, chapter 13, look at verses 37 and 38. Remember, this is the final day of Christ before he is to go to trial, before he is to be crucified. Chapter 13, verses 37 and 38, says, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. But Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. You see? You see where Christ is going. You see what's happening with this discussion, with this conversation, where it is headed. 
It is not just simply an encouragement that Christ has given us for each and every one of us. Is there one among us that has never been discouraged at one point? Is that person here this morning? I didn't think so. <laughs> I didn't think so. It ain't me. It surely is not me. All of us at one time have faced some sort of discouragement, some sort of shortcoming in our life, some wall that has presented itself that seems like, God, why is this here? Why do I have to deal with this? And you see, Peter was gung-ho. Lord, you know, you're going to Jerusalem. They're going to try to kill you. I'm going with you. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, Peter, you know what? Before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter must have been devastated. We know Peter. I mean, Peter was like, you know, I'll do anything for you, Lord. And yet here is Christ telling him, you're going to deny me three times. And this when he gets into this conversation. That's when he gets into this. You know, Peter, yes, you're going to deny me. And yes, I know, Peter, that you're going to be crushed. I know that you're going to be devastated. When the sun comes up and you realize what you've done, you're going to be devastated, Peter. <coughs> but don't let your heart be troubled, Peter. <coughs> Did you know that church? Have you ever looked around and seen the situation, the shape of the world? Now, I know, uh, especially us preachers, a lot of times, we get all uh, been out of shape and everything, talking about the, the situation of the world. And it just might get a little depressing to come to church sometimes because all we do is talk about a sin in the world and how bad a shape the world is in. But guess what, church? Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and I. And you see, that is the difference. That's the difference between all these folks sitting on church pews this morning that are just there for a social visit, that are just there for a simple social occasion, than those who are looking for his appearing. You know what I'm going to say, Brother Archie? Did you know that there's a crown, a special crown, that you're going to get in heaven when you look for his appearing? There's a crown in heaven for those that love his appearing. Amen. Yes, it is. And Jesus got into this conversation by encouraging those disciples. That's where he said, let not your heart be troubled. And then he went on to tell Thomas, because Thomas, you know, jumped in on that as well. Well, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus, oh, he put it to him. I am the way. I am the truth. And the topic that we've come here to study this morning for just a few minutes, the last thing he said, I am the life. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about living the life. Living the life. The last characteristic that Christ tells his disciples of himself that he is the life. He is the life. Remember, he uses this definitive article, the, the life. Jesus is reassuring Thomas, the other disciples, concerning his going away and his subsequent return. Yes, they, the disciples, will be troubled at his announcement, of course, that he's going away. But I want you to consider where Jesus sits in this whole situation. Because in less than 24 hours, he will be hanging 
on a cross. Here's Christ encouraging his disciples. Don't let your heart be troubled. And yet, right in front of him, he can see it. He knows it's there is the cross. He's about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to pray, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That prayer is just a few minutes away. It's just a few more hours before the guards come looking for him and beat him to a pulp and drag him away to Caiaphas' house in the middle of the night for a kangaroo court in which he will be convicted falsely of blasphemy. Yes, they thought it was blasphemy that he said he was the son of God, but it's not blasphemy if you are the son of God. <laughs> and that's who Jesus was. But yet this is where Jesus sits. And yet what's he saying? Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. That he would allow his son to come down to rescue fallen mankind from his sinful state. That he would allow his son to go through this. To go through something that no one should ever have to go through. It's bad enough when we are receive retribution for something we've done wrong, isn't it? You know, I've told you a lot of stories about uh, my dad's uh, belt, and you know all the stories about that. Uh, but I never got anything I didn't deserve. Didn't get a lot of what I did deserve. But you see, it's even worse every now and then. There wasn't many, just a couple of times. Every now and then, my sister would do something. And I would get in trouble for it. Those were the bad times. Like, man, I didn't do nothing. Pow, you got it anyway. But think about Christ, the sinless son of the living God, who willingly, willingly laid down his life, who took my place on the cross, who took my place in uh, judgment, and said, I will take his place. I will take his punishment. What does Isaiah say? By his stripes we are healed. He is born on himself. Oh, you see what Christ did for us? And he's sitting in this place telling those disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. And yet this is right in front of him. Oh. Man, it is something. Let's look. Let's look. Because there's, uh, there's a, a question that I know that we have all heard. There's a, you know, they used to have these little cartoons when we was growing up. They had little cartoons about everything. But there was this one little cartoon of this, you know, uh, guru or whatever sitting on top of a snow-capped mountain somewhere. And this guy climbs up to the top, to the very top of the mountain, and you know what they ask him, don't you? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And that's one of those questions. You know, there's like three big questions that all human beings will ever face. At one point, they'll ask themselves, why and how am I here? How, how did that happen? 
what, what's going on? Was I created? Was, did I evolve? What's going How did I get here? And the second question they'll ask themselves is, well, okay, I know I'm here. Now, why am I here? The big question. What's the meaning of life? And then the last question that everybody is going to ask at some point or another, okay, now that I'm here, what happens when I'm not? Those are three questions that I don't care who it is. Everybody is dealing with those questions. Why am I here? What am I doing here? What's going to happen when I die? And you know this, what Jesus told us? Notice what Jesus told his disciples. Jesus, once again, using that definitive article, said, I am the life. Let's look for just a minute at what life is considered. I want you to look at Genesis 2-7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. This is one of the uh, earliest, well, of course it's in creation. It's going to be the earliest accounts of what we have, of what it truly means to be alive. Genesis 2-7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now get this. God has formed us out of the dust of the ground. We've been formed. That body is laying there in the dust of the ground. It has been formed and fashioned by God himself. Jesus Christ has formed us. We've been shaped. That body lays there, yet it is what? It is lifeless. That body is lifeless. Until what? Until God himself, Elohim, the Lord God, breathes into our nostrils the breath of life, and we become what? A living soul. Not a living body. A living soul. A living soul. Jesus said, I am the life. The life. This body was formed and fashioned, and yet there was no life within this body until Christ himself breathed into our nostrils. Until God breathed the breath of life. Therefore, that which makes us alive, that which defines who we are, comes directly from God himself. You didn't form by no accident. You didn't form in no pond, on the, some scum on the back of a rock that got struck by lightning and then turned into a tadpole that later walked out of the water. You didn't get formed that way. You were created in the precise image of the living God. Shapen to give him glory by your life. That's why we were created. We were created in his image. And he has breathed the breath of life within our nostrils. We would have been nothing but a lifeless body until he breathed the breath of life in us. So we're not alive unless we got what? Something from God. He's, he gives us life. 
He's the one that gives us life. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We see that we were formed and fashioned by the dust of the ground. We seen that we were shaping. Uh, you know, you, you may uh, have discussions with, with folks a lot of times, and they'll, they'll make some kind of issue about the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. How can there be such a stark contrast in those two gods? How can you uh, love a God that orders people uh, to go into a, an entire country and wipe out men, women, and children, and then they see Jesus, meek and mild, born in the manger, uh, telling everybody to love one another, and they say, how? You know, you got to, the God of the Old Testament is so harsh and everything, and Jesus is so loving. It's just so difficult to reconcile. Well, look what Colossians 1.17 says. And he is, speaking of Christ, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. There is no reconciling the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. They are one and the same. They are the same. It was Jesus Christ that spoke from the burning bush. It was Jesus Christ that met up with Abraham there underneath the trees and told him he was going to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Jesus Christ that walked there in the midst of the fiery furnace uh, when the king looked on and said, did we not throw three men bound into the fire? And I see four unloosed walking around and unharmed. You see, it was Jesus Christ that showed up uh, when Joshua was standing looking at the walls of Jericho and said, uh, on your feet, buddy, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. I'm going to lead this battle and the walls are going to fall. That was Jesus Christ. And notice what Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. Jesus Christ is before all things. He is, it is by him that all things consist or are held together. Did you know that? Did you know that? People, they talk about gravity and stuff like this. Now, gravity is, is it's an okay force, all right? It's okay force, but it don't hold everything together. Let me just go ahead and tell you that. Gravity does not hold everything together. Uh, science does not know nearly as much as what they uh, think that they may know. I know that they know a lot. They've done great things, uh, but listen. It is Jesus Christ who holds this universe together, all that has been created. And he is the head of the body, the church, the church, get this, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, when Christ was on this, this, in this life, when he was walking on the earth, all that he sought to do was bring honor and glory to the Father. And did you know what? He was only continuing what he has always done. That's all he has ever sought to do is to bring honor and glory to the Father. And the Father in turn has sought to extol the Son or that he might have preeminence. That preeminence word there, the Father wants to simply place the Son in first place. And Christ tells us about the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, every time you see him in Scripture, every time you see a type of the Holy Spirit, did you know that it's always an unnamed servant? Always an unnamed servant. Now, we might find out who the servant is, you know, in some other part of Scripture by, uh, you know, look, doing a little investigative work, but he's always an unnamed servant. And the reason why is because Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit. He says when he comes, he will never testify of himself. He's pointing us to Jesus. He points us to Jesus. Jesus said what? What did he tell Thomas? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. This life that we're living is for a reason. There is a meaning to life. It is not for us to gain. It is not for us to build up. It is not for us to collect for ourselves. No, it is to reflect the image of the living God, to bring him glory. Why did Christ create us? What did, why did Christ do anything? To bring his Father glory. Why were we created? To bring the Father glory. What does Christ say? I am the life. I am the only reason that there is for life. You know I was going here. Revelations chapter 4. You knew I was headed this way, didn't you? Let's catch that other verse. Revelation 4, 10 and 11. Look at this. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And you see, this is simply an occasion that John is seeing there in heaven, in, in the revelation that was given to Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is showing it to John, and this is what's happening there. The worship at the throne of the Father. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, to receive honor, to receive power. Why? Because thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, or by thy will, they are and were created. That is why we are here. To bring him honor and glory. And you see it is when we are able to do that with our life. That we will truly find happiness. We will truly feel like we have accomplished, accomplished something. When we are able to bring him honor and glory. I can tell you. You go out here and seek to build up your own kingdom. To seek to gather for yourself. And you do that. You collect. You gain. You grow. And you get to the end of the way. And what do you find out? You're just as miserable as the day you started when you had nothing. Because what is all of this wealth and power and fame and fortune going to do if you have done nothing but to build up your own kingdom? Because that's not why you were created. That's not why you were created. 
You see, if we're not doing what we were created to do, we're going to be miserable, miserable people, aren't we? We're going to be off the mark. But John saw the reason we were created for his honor, for his glory, for his pleasure. Look at what John says in chapter 1, verse 4. Marvelous chapter. But when he gets down to verse 4, John, speaking of Jesus, says, In him was life. In him was life. And get this. And the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. Now, once again, don't, don't get tripped up. When it says men here, it means mankind. When, when the Bible speaks of man, men, it means everybody. Get tripped up on that male and female stuff. John said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, there looks like John saying the only way to know true life is to know Jesus Christ. Is there life without Christ? Is that, that's something to ask ourselves. Can, there, can we be or truly experience life without knowing Jesus Christ? Is that possible? I don't think so either. Does it? I don't think so. I don't think you can. And I think scripture supports that. Look, over in Matthew, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, gee, one of these nice, fluffy Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus loves everybody. Look what he said over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Whoa. Well, you know, you got all these cats around today talking about how that Jesus just wants you to be happy and successful and to, to have and to grow. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, don't be thinking about yourself. Jesus says, don't put yourself first. Don't be thinking about what you want to eat, what you want to drink, what you're going to wear. That's not to be, not to consume you. Not that we can't think of those things, of course. It's not what Jesus means. He means don't let that be the focus. The meaning of your life is not the life more than meat, the body more than raiment. Jesus goes on uh, later on in Matthew chapter 10, and he says this, verse 38 39, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Whoa. Whoa. Nice little Jesus. Nice, sweet little Jesus. Just throw down. He that, taketh not, he that taketh not his cross is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So you can find your life for any reason. Look, he that findeth his life, but you're going to what? Lose it. But when you lose your life, 
not just for any reason, but for the sake of Christ. Guess what? You just found it. You just found it. Hey, he's not through yet. Matthew chapter 16. He expounds on this thought that he uh, began in, in chapter 6. But here he really brings it out. Matthew 16 verses 25 and 26. He says this. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now get this. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, what is the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? What does, what, what does life truly mean? What is life all about? Well, think of those questions that we pondered earlier. What is going to happen when I die? Is there, now I know when we're young, you young folks, folks that are still young, you still got a little bit of that in you. Even us old folks still got a little bit, a bit of that in us. But there is within us, each and every one of us, that, that human nature that says, you know, I'm going to be the one that cheats death. <laughs> I'm going to be the one that cheats death. We look around us and see death, and we see it uh, constantly, but it never, ever really grasps a hold of us. We never ever allow ourselves to, to talk honestly within ourselves and understand that, yes, I am going to die. Now, I know this is not uh, all bright and cheery stuff that you're going to hear or read in the uh, latest bestsellers or anything, but this is the truth. This is the truth because this is the meaning of life. Why does Scripture tell us? What does it say over there in Ecclesiastes the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Because why? Because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. You have given your life for me, if you, if you believe in me, you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you live for Christ. You look around, the world might seem like it's going a full steam ahead and you're getting left behind because you're trying to live a godly life. And it may not seem like uh, everything is all fair in this world, but keep your head high because don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when Jesus Christ returns, guess what he's going to give each and every one of us? Eternal life. You see, I used to tell myself, well, we've all got eternal life. It's just a matter of where you spend it. Now, that's you know, a matter of semantics that you, we can debate about if you want to. 
But if you truly, honestly think about what it means to be separated from God, I couldn't consider that life. Can a person know life without Jesus Christ? Well, you, the world will say, well, I'm alive. I'm alive. I've, I've got life. Oh, do you? Oh, do you? Because when that breath leaves your body, where will your life be then? And if it's not there, that's right, King. If it's not there, buddy, you've missed the boat. You've missed it all. What good are those millions, those billions in the bank? They're not going to buy your way out of hell. What good were all those fine cars that people used to look at you driving down the road and say, man, that's a nice car. What good is all that when you have lost your soul? And you see, church, we've got loved ones around us every day. We've got friends around us every week. We've got a community around us that we have to live this life for, that we have to be a witness for each and every day that we live. Don't let your heart be troubled. Hey, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, listen, we are going to experience life like we have never, ever known it. Never. Man, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. But until it gets here, until it arrives, we've got a work to do, church. We've got a work to do. We've got to be a light to a lost and a dying world. We've got to be a witness to those around us. Everything we do, everything we say, everything about Piedmont Avenue Baptist Church has to radiate to, to the community and to the people around us. We are here to tell you about Jesus Christ and to tell you how you can have eternal life. Brother Mel, come with a verse of a song. This is the invitation today. Listen, church. If there's someone here today that does not know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is the day to make it right. Listen, Holy Spirit's dealing with you now. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to tell you uh, anything uh, that you need to know. Listen, you know that Holy Spirit's dealing with you. And what, he's, what he desires of you is to make a choice, make a decision to repent of the life that you're now living, to turn and to give your life to Jesus, to follow holy Jesus Christ. But if you're here today, and listen, you need to come and pray about something. You want to come to these altars. Uh, you want to pray. That's why they're here. The church will meet you here. The church will pray. Listen, whatever it is that you have in your life that you need to take care of, let this be the day that you make it right with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.